Spirit of God, we pray that you would fall afresh. That in only the way that you can, that each of us, we come today to this space with our very particular life, our passions, our struggles, our questions, our doubts. I pray, King Jesus, that you would speak to each of us exactly where we're at. Have your way. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So as we get into understanding this, this way of Jesus, this upside-down way that changed the world forever, Paul frames this way with a summary of the way that we should interact as a church. It seems to me that he starts this conversation with this statement that, that, that we are called to be a people that are devoted in, in this way to what I would like to call a sincere love for your spiritual family. A sincere love for your spiritual family. This way of Jesus, this way that, that Jesus actually spoke about, if you go to Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is very similar to what we're gonna be looking at in chapter 12 here, is you're gonna see this parallelism of the way of Jesus. And, and Paul here is summarizing this way with this word sincere. In, in the ESV, the word is genuine. Paul says this in verse nine. He says, let love be genuine. Thanks, Siri. Let love be genuine. Sincere love. It's really interesting here. This word sincere, this word genuine, this isn't a fake just, you know what, I'm just gonna make people feel good. No, this word sincerity is, 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 is speaking the truth in love. It's related to truth. It's related to a genuine familial concern for your brother or sister in Christ. I think about the show American Idol. Anybody ever watch the show American Idol? In the show, one of my favorite parts is always the beginning time when they do the um, tryouts. And there's always someone who thinks they have a really good voice and it's like chalkboard. And it's like, did anybody ever think to like tell that person, you probably shouldn't go on national TV and sing in front of everyone because this is torture. And, and the reason why you're making it on national TV is because you're so bad. This is, the, this is sincere love for your brother or your sister in Christ. And here, Paul is not so much talking about, about that as much. He's talking about the ways of Jesus. Where you do not conform to the pattern of this world, verse 2, but you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the pattern of this world may say, this is the way. That was some old teaching. That, that, that's some old school, old churchy stuff. Th this new way is different. But Paul here says, no, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Call good, good. Call evil, evil. It's this call to this genuine, true love. 
If you're a parent here, you know this. Good parents, they will love their children and they will discipline their children. They will call them out, out of love. They will tell their children, you know what? I'm sorry, but you cannot have a bowl of ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I know dad does sometimes, but, no, just kidding, I don't. A good parent will say, no, like before you uh, get the screen time, you probably need to do your homework. It's a sincere love, it's a call, it's just, and, and, and so we're called, Paul's framing our relationship as a people of God to have this sincere love for each other where we speak love into each other. Love that hates what is evil and loves what is good. This is the framework of our relationship to each other. And then he, he seems to get a little bit into the nitty gritty. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to hate what is evil, to love what is good? What does it look like for us to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 10. He says this, love one another with brotherly affection. This word brotherly affection is the same word, the Greek word Philadelphia. Now don't think of the city of Philadelphia. That's not the most brotherly affectionate place. I'm sure there are, is some of that there. But it's related to this familial love for each other. That, that as a church, as a people of God, people who say, I follow Jesus, that we are more than just people who attend church together. That we are more than just people who sing the songs together, who, who, who do the Bible studies together, who, who maybe pray for each other every once in a while. No, Paul is saying we are called to have this uh, brotherly affection for each other. And this brotherly, this familial affection is sincere. Tim, Timothy Keller says this. He says, real love is concerned about truth. Any love that is afraid to confront the beloved is not really love, but a selfish desire to be loved. Sincere love is not about a desire to be loved, it is a desire for that person to know truth and grace. And so as we lean into this, Paul gives us what I would say is three categories for this as he get off this, as he gives us this list of ways that we can have this spiritual love for each other. And the first is what I would like to call a culture of honor. A culture of honor. It's really easy in our own flesh and our own selfish desire to fall into a culture of shame. A family where we use shame, we use guilt to, to manipulate or to, to get people to do the things that we want to do or to make us feel good about ourselves, right? But earlier Paul says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. We are to be a people that are developing and promoting a culture of honor. What do we mean by honor? Paul says this in verse 10. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. It should almost be like it's a competition for us to outdo each other in showing honor. What does this look like? Now, this doesn't mean, because remember, it's in the, the category of sincere love. This doesn't mean that I go to my brother Andrew over here, one of our interns in the ministry, and I say, Andrew, you are such a good cook. I really think that you need to 
you should start a restaurant. I, I don't know. I've never actually eaten anything by Andrew. I've seen him eating more cup of noodles around than gourmet food. But I could say, Andrew, I have seen the way that you love our youth. I've seen the way that you serve in our ministry. I've seen the way that you care for my boys. And I want to honor you. God has given you some special giftings and ability. Think about my friend Pat back there who's running the soccer league. Think about honoring him in the way that he's led and, and done this incredible work for our, our youth league and all the grief that he's taken, but the, the care that he's done. We have a culture of honoring each other, of looking for ways that we can honor, and our default is the opposite. Our default is, how, how can I look good? How, how, can, how can this help me? But Paul says, no, in the, the way of Jesus, we choose honor. It says in Philippians 2, verse three, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, count others more than yourselves. We need to be a people that are promoting and pursuing a culture of honor. Second, we need to be a people that have this commitment to one another. This commitment to one another. I love the word commitment. This commitment is like even when It's not going the way I would like to go. I'm committed. I think of uh, uh, the vows of marriage. Through, through the good times and the bad times, I'm committed. And, call, and Paul is calling us as we think about the, 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 the fact that we are called to belong to Christ and in essence to belong to each other as a church, that we are supposed to have this radical commitment to each other. Look at what he says. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. Don't be lazy in your commitment to each other. He says, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. He says, rejoice in hope. Celebrate hope. Be patient in tribu tribulation, suffering. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He's calling us to this, this commitment to each other. And, and, and recognize this is in the context of a church that is trying to figure out, an early church in Rome that is under persecution, people that are trying to figure out Jew and Gentile, how do we worship together? How do we live in community together? He's saying we gotta have this 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 strong commitment to each other. I think about my friend Tim. Me and my uh, buddy Wes, uh, we uh, have, I've not lifted weights in like five years. So we texted him the other day. If you guys know Pastor Tim, he runs our Celebrate Recovery program. He's one of the biggest, fittest guys around. So I texted him, I said, hey Tim, Wes and I, we wanna start, you know, getting strong. I'm like, we're coming over on Monday. We show up at six in the morning on Monday. I think I can do like maybe 10 push-ups. And uh, Tim has a workout for us. And we're doing these workouts and we're just thinking like, I'm already, I mean, did you guys notice, do I look a little bigger? <laughs> I have four workouts in, in the last two weeks. And what I love about Tim is he's been so patient with us. 
He's been so patient. Well, I remember the first day I got back and he, was like, he sends a text like he says, hey guys, if you really wanna see um, growing and for you to really develop, he says, you, you gotta work on your diet. So I sent him a picture of the donuts that I was eating. He's like, Logan, you can't do that. What I love about Tim is he's so committed to me. He's not just like, oh my gosh, Logan had another cheeseburger, another Dr. Pepper. He's like, no, he's, he's sincerely speaking to me. He's saying, Logan, you need to grow in this. But he's also committed to me. I love in Celebrate Recovery, we have this saying that we love to say. Actually, we sang it in City of Grace. It says, it's okay to not be okay. I love that. It's okay to not be okay. But a committed Christian will say that, but we don't end there. We say, it's okay to not be okay, just don't stay there. This is recovery. We believe that we are called to step out of denial. It's okay to not be okay, but I'm not gonna stay there. I'm gonna start taking the steps. I'm gonna start working in community about how I can grow and how I can develop in Christ. Commitment to one another. Finally, we have a culture of honor. We have a commitment to, to, to one another, and then we have this radical care. I love the word radical. Because it flies in the face of, of, of our own selfish desires and how, how we tend to be the center of the universe. It says in verse four, he says, bless those who persecute you. What? It says, actually, bless and do not curse them. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Okay, I can do that. Sing and rejoice over, over the the. the, the the rewards and the, the blessings that people have, weep with those who weep. Oh, when people in our, in our, in our church, and our community are struggling, we should show up and, and weep with them? He says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Have you ever been to like a uh, orchestra where you have all of these different instruments and you know like in the beginning when they're all warming up, there's all these different noises and you're kind of like, oh my gosh, this is. And then all of a sudden the conductor comes up and starts playing, leading them and everyone plays in harmony together. And it's like one of the most beautiful pictures of all the different parts playing their piece. And this is what Paul, Jesus, is calling us to to live in harmony with, with each other and don't be too proud, I'm sorry, and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. <clears throat> I love what the New Living Translation says. It says, uh, it says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people <laughs> and don't think you know it all. We're called to be in community together and way too often we fall into this, as Paul said earlier, don't think of yourself more highly than you want. We think in the church that there's actually like a hierarchy. Like there's the people, the saints that have been coming forever, there's the brand new people, oh, there's the elders, oh. And that's, in the kingdom of God, we are all together. We're all ordinary people changed by grace called to, 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 to share our gifts for the ways of the kingdom. So, so don't take that yourself too seriously. And don't think you know it all. We're called to this sincere love 
for the spiritual family. And probably right now you're thinking, okay, what's so upside down about this, Logan? I get that. It actually sounds great. Some things I could work on, yeah, I could probably be a little bit more sincere in my love. I could probably say some harder things. You know what? I could really work on honoring. But Paul doesn't stop there. He takes it to another whole level. Not only are we called to have this sincere love for each other as a community, we're also called to this crazy love for our enemy. This crazy love for our enemy. Look at what he said in, says in verse 17. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable. Now the honoring is not just for your brother or your sister in Christ, not just for the person that you go to church with or the person that you go to Bible study with or for, for your friend. No, now I'm looking to honor the people who have sinned against me, the people who want me to fall. This is this crazy Love that God calls us to. I'm reminded of uh, the Lord of the Rings. In the Lord of the Rings, if you have not watched the series or read the books, shame on you. Uh, you should. But in the Lord of the Rings, it's this whole story about this one ring that's supposed to rule them all, and it's a, it's a ring of evil. And the whole narrative is about goodness, you can't use the ring in all its power. You can't use it for evil. It just becomes evil. The only way to truly destroy the, way, the ring is to cast it into a fire with the, the ultimate sacrifice. It's the story of grace. And this is the way that Jesus is calling us to. In summary, I believe 18 through 20 could be summarized in three uh, words with L. I begin with the letter L. You know me, I love my alliteration. First, we're to live at peace. Second, we're to leave it to Jesus. Third, we're to love with grace. This way of honoring our enemies is to live at peace. Look, he says, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, whatever you can control, listen, there's gonna be some people that no matter how hard you try, they refuse to be at peace with you. Okay, but as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do all that you can, as radically as you can, to be at peace with that neighbor that keeps complaining about the color of your grass, or maybe that neighbor who, uh, if, um, who, who uh, is, 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 is just very difficult and challenging. That coworker, that boss, that person that just seems to constantly just get under your skin. Paul's saying live at peace with them. Not only that, look at this, he says beloved. I love how Paul uses the word beloved. He's writing to the church and he's writing to them because he, he's, he, 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 they are his beloved. And he says never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. Vengeance itself is God. This is a quote from an Old Testament passage where it's just saying, leave vengeance 
and justice to God. That's not your part to play. So if someone is wrong, Jesus actually says, if someone hits you on the cheek, what are you to do? He says, turn the other cheek. And you're thinking, okay, no vengeance, live at peace. But then Paul takes it to another whole level. He says, to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, this burning coals on his head, I would encourage you, if you got uh, small groups and, uh, and you're talking about that, study this verse this week. In the commentaries, there's uh, a lot of debate about what Paul means here. Oftentimes, burning coals is related to judgment and the, the wrath of God, and that kind of goes with the earlier verse about leaving the wrath of God to himself, but it also is kind of contra- contradictory because Paul is saying to love our enemies, and it doesn't seem the most loving to be like, by loving you, I'm giving you burning coals. <laughs> There's also a cultural practice in Egypt at the time that probably was familiar about, about Egyptians that would put burning coals on their heads as a sign of their penitence and their repentance. John Stott would say that this idea of these burning coals was, was a sign about, about, this, about realizing when someone acts out in kindness to your evil, it brings about this repentance and this change in people. And I think this is what Paul is getting at. I think he's saying that when your enemy, when, when somebody does something against you and you have all the right in the world to punch them back, to get them back, to call them out, Jesus says to feed them. He says to honor them. And he says by doing so, you actually share his grace. And this could be an opportunity to bring about repentance. I love earlier in Romans it says, the kindness of God leads us to what? Repentance. This is the upside down way. And it's the way that that changed the world. It's the way as historians that, that don't necessarily even believe that Jesus is resurrected, but know that he existed. Historians, there's a guy named Tom Holland who wrote a book called Dominion. He wrote a book that basically said that 2,000 years ago, if you look at the ethics of today, If you look at who we are today, we are a product of the the Christian ethic. That there were these emperors in Rome and they were were bringing in Christians and and putting them in Colosseums and burning them at the stake and these Christians had had this teaching that said you should love your enemies, you should pray for those who persecute you. They were following the ways of Jesus and, and there was this movement that was happening and in the way of Christianity, royalty was the servant. Suffering is power. Loneliness, last shall be first, the first shall be last. And this is the way of Jesus. And this is the way that's been changing the world ever since Jesus called us into this way. And he's calling you and me into this way. Now maybe you're like me and you're thinking, okay Logan, I get that, that's cute but why? Why? Why should I turn the other cheek? 
Why should I honor my enemy? Why should I belong to this bigger movement outside of my own desires? Well, I'd go back to those 11 words that changed the the world. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Where does that come from? I'm reminded of the play, Les Miserables. In that play, the main character, John Von Jean, he's a thief, and he's stolen this priest's candlesticks. And he's caught, if you remember the play. And he's brought before the priest, and he's about to go back to prison for the rest of his life. And the authorities that are all about justice, they say, did he take the candlesticks? And the priest says, no, I gave them to him. He says, actually, John, why did, I didn't just give you the candlesticks, I also gave you the silver. Go get the silver, and he goes and he gets all of the silver and gives them to him. And if you know the story, this forever changes this man's life, and he becomes changed by this grace, this act of kindness. And this is a picture of the why. This is a picture of what we believe the why is because we believe that when Jesus said to overcome evil with good, that he exemplified that in the most incredible way when he went to the cross. When God himself left heaven and all the authority and all the glory to dwell among us and came as what? A baby in humility. And he lived in perfect, a perfect life among us and taught us about his ways. And as he was with his disciples, he said, they will know that you are my followers, what? By my love. This is a new commandment I give you. Love as I have loved you. And how would he love us? He would die on a cross for my sins. As we sing, as we're gonna sing, He wore my sin, I will gladly bear his name. We can get so caught up in the upside down way that we miss the upside down why. Because we believe as Christians that Jesus of Nazareth was not a prophet, was not a guru, was not a guy who had a lot of great teaching. We believe that he was God, is God himself. That we believe that he died for us. And not only did he die, he resurrected and he's reigning. And by his spirit, which he gives us when we believe in him, he's still reigning. And when we say his kingdom come, his will be done, his way is reigning amongst us. Do you catch this? The upside down way, hear this, write this down, is Christ our king. The upside down why is Christ our king. These nine words changed the world forever, through Christ. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So as you think on this, as you reflect on this, I encourage you. I have some guiding questions for you to think about. You know, it says in James, don't really listen to the word and deceive yourselves, do what it says. First question I would have for you, what patterns of this world do you need to turn from today?
What patterns of this world do you need to turn from today? Perhaps, as a parent, we need to grow in honoring our children. Perhaps as you think about the upcoming Thanksgiving weekend and maybe being around other people and probably some difficult folks, perhaps as you think about your workplace, perhaps as you think about the people that you interact with, what, what patterns of this world do you need to turn from today? There's a word for this we have in scripture, it's called repentance. It's called confession, Lord, help me. Help me to follow you because I believe that you're the why. And second, as you turn from this way, the pattern of this world, and you're transformed by Jesus, how will you follow Christ in his way this week? And imagine with me, Imagine with me the opportunity for Chowchilla and Merced and Madeira and Los Banos, or if you're visiting, wherever you're from. Imagine the opportunity of this upside down way. And we know that it is because Jesus changes everything and he's calling us to be a people of his kingdom. And I exhort you, on behalf of Christ our King, live in his way. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this reminder that you, Jesus, call us to live in this upside down way. What I love, Jesus, is that you call us to live in this way because you paved the way that you didn't just from far away say, this is how you should live. No, Jesus, you come to us. You show us the ultimate picture of a culture of honor. You honor us. You're committed to us. You radically care for us. And Jesus, the reality is, is we all at one time are enemies of you. And yet you bore our evil, you bore our shame, and you clothe us in your righteousness. And so I pray, Lord, that as we reflect on this together, as we prepare to walk out sent by you, I pray, God, that we would walk in your way. I pray for anybody here that maybe is struggling or wrestling, that maybe has not declared faith in you, that they would be allegiant to you, that they would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are Lord and walk in your way. So have your way, King Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. At this time I'd like to invite the deacons down for the tithes and offerings. We do the tithes and offerings after the sermon as a chance for you to reflect on this word. This, we got a lot to marinate on today. And before you head out, maybe not just to worship God through giving to the, the work of Jesus here at Cornerstone, but also maybe for you to just spend some time communing and thinking through who he is. And so as the offering goes through, I would encourage you, take some time of communion with Christ. Take some time of reflecting on this word. As the offering goes by you, pray to him. Give him your heart. And then after that, we're gonna respond and we're gonna sing this new song that's basically like my whole sermon in a song. It's awesome. Let's pray for this, sir. Let's pr pray for this offering. Lord, we ask for your blessing on this offering. We ask Jesus that you would use these gifts that we are about to give for your work 
your way here in Chowchilla and the valley and the world. So have your way, Jesus. We love you. Amen.